Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Weight Loss Podcast with Human Design. I'm your host, John Donahue. And as always, the aim of this podcast is to give you bite-sized tips, strategies, and practical insights into mastering the health of game of weight loss without losing your mind in the process. And today I've got a cool wee um, study. We're on episode uh, 52 today. I can't believe I've done 52 of these. And if you're in Sydney, by the way, it's um, they're back-burning for bushfire season because we're predicted to have a really hot summer so this smoke is crazy here so a lot of people can't exercise outside today but you can still get in the gym but uh, anyway so today i'm going to talk about a, a, a how to help you make better choices healthier choices and this is based on a cool little study i got to see in one of the research publications i subscribed to so let me know uh i'm going to hopefully help you use a framework today to make better choices might not always work but like every time i come on this podcast i always say take what's useful and discard the rest so let me know if any of this sounds familiar right you wake up and you hit snooze instead of going out for the early morning run uh you eat a stale uh biscuit in the office instead of the carrot sticks that you packed I wonder how many people pack carrot sticks. Some people probably do. Uh, you keep swiping on TikTok instead of going the F to bed. So you want to be healthier, but you also crave comfort and entertainment and ease right now. And, you know, for some of you, if that's not relatable, you're a legend. I don't know anyone like that, but for most of us, that's what we're like. So this experience of having what's called multiple or often conflicting desires at once is called synchronous ambivalence. I love these terms that these researchers come up with. They're unbelievable. Synchronous ambivalence. So we want two things at once. And, and, you know, it's totally normal, but it can create what's called a really frustrating push-pull effect that kind of limits your ability to reach your fitness goals or your health goals. You know, and why do we, you know, why do we choose what's pleasing in the short term over what's better for us in the long term? Well, in a paper, psychologists from Stanford University and the University of Pennsylvania, they wanted to answer that question. And they've kind of offered some solutions that I can use as a coach, but I wanted to highlight them for you because they're really, really good. And so the background here was that they basically said there's a couple of reasons why we make less than ideal choices. And according to scientists, a thing, a psychological term called present bias is a bias where our tendency is to care more about our now than our future. And that's uh, partly responsible for making these poor choices. So as a result of this present bias, uh, the short-term rewards of so-called bad behaviors often outweigh the longer-term rewards of good choices, in other words, improving your health and nutrition overall. And that plays out in real life. Think about it. When you're tired at the end of the day and you have a glass of wine, you're not thinking about the long-term effects of alcohol in your liver. You're not take, talking about, you know, if you have a smoke, you're not thinking about the 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 years you're taking off your life, you know, what matters is now, how you feel now, and you want instant gratification. And, you know, this is a really, really powerful psychological bias. And, and, you know, when we get outcomes we like from the decisions we make, we're more likely to make those decisions in the future. And that totally makes sense because, but because these negative consequences can lag behind positive rewards, we're really prone to developing habits that reinforce short-term rewards. So if you do a behavior like having a glass of wine at night or having a treat after dinner every night, you know, that reinforces that you get a reward from that. And I've said this before that neuroscientists say that neurons that wire together or fire together, wire together. So if someone makes you feel good, 
straight after, then you're more prone. The brain's going to say, well, this uh, this makes me feel good. This gives me a reward. So it's going to form a stronger connection, a former stronger habit. It's going to make it more difficult to break. So a lot of these uh, choices can reinforce short-term rewards. So what can we do about this? Well, the scientists suggest that if we understand where our behaviors come from, we can actually change them. And to do that, they cite a framework called the process model of behavior change. And they say that the idea is that all impulses they act, think, or feel a certain way develop in what's called a four-stage process. So here's a quick snapshot of it. So in step one is the situation. So your environment, where you are, who you're with, what's around you. Step two is your attention. So where you where your focus is. Are you putting your attention on something in your environment or inward to your thoughts and feelings? Step three is appraisal. So how you interpret interpret and evaluate what you're paying attention to. And this is often really unconscious. And then step four is the response. So the action or thought or the feeling triggered by your appraisal. So it's a four-step process model of behavior change. Step one, situation. Step two, attention. Step three, appraisal. Step four, response. So here's an example in real life, right? And we'll use two different people. So you're both in the office lobby. Person number one, it's the same situation. Step one, we're both in the office lobby. Step two is the attention. So person number one is looking at the elevator or the lift. And then they're trying to appraise this situation, which is step three. So they're thinking in their mind, I just want to take it easy today. So they take the elevator, which is step four, the, the response or the action. And then the other person is in the office lobby. It's the same situation, but they're looking at the stairs. So their focus is at the stairs. So that's where their attention is going. And in their mind, they're thinking, I should get more exercise. And their response because of that is they take the stairs. So in each scenario, the situation was the same, but the person's attention and their appraisal of it is completely different. And as a result, they get a different outcome. So there is one caveat to this four-stage process. And, and the scientists say that sometimes it's just three stages. And here's why. They said if your response yields a reward, you're more likely to repeat that behavior in the future, just like you'd expect from what I mentioned earlier. But they said over time, when faced with a similar situation and attention cues, the appraisal step, which is the third step, can get skipped and you take a shortcut straight to the habitual response, a.k.a. a habit. So, you know, that's why sometimes the model, even though it's four steps, sometimes people can skip step three, the appraisal, and go straight to the habit because it's so ingrained. You get a reward of it. You don't even think about the consequences or the outcome. And I'm sorry if you can hear dogs barking in the background. <laughs> My neighbor's got these two crazy dogs. But the good news is, if you think through each stage, you can actually find strategies that can help you change behaviors. So, for example, let's say you're struggling with your eating behaviors during the workday. Here's an example of strategies you might use based on what can we know about each stage now to help you make better food choices. So, let's say you're in stage one, which is the situation, which is you're in work, you're struggling with your food. One strategy might be to prepare healthy snacks so they're easily available throughout the day. And I think this is a really good strategy because a lot of my clients work long, long hours and they can be stuck in three, four, five hours of meetings. And what happens is they come out, they've no food available. So they go straight to the vending machine, they go straight to the cafe, they get whatever's on offer. And it's usually high calorie, highly processed, mix and feed sluggish, um, and they end up overeating and not helping their food goals. Um, so... Yeah, preparing healthy snacks in advance helps you deal with the situation. 
Step two, the attention. So maybe you can keep a food log or an eating behavior journal. You know, everyone's obsessed with logging the food, but they're not, you know, I think it's more probably figure out your behavior around why you're eating certain things. So if you just keep a food log and you go, you know what, every day at 10 o'clock, I feel kind of hungry, or maybe I'm not having a big enough breakfast or every day I keep eating treats. Why is that? What's the trigger? Is somebody asking me to go for a coffee? Are we going to a coffee shop? So you can start realizing what you're feeling or what what's causing you to kind of or where your attention is each day and then step three in this situation is the appraisal stay appraisal step you could think about how good nutrition gives you more energy or helps you be more productive you know so two people can be in the same situation they're in work they could be paying attention to treat foods one person's thinking, oh, you know what? Good nutrition gives me more energy and helps me more productive. I think I'll skip it. The other person's going, oh, I'm bored. I need to pick me up. I'm tired. I didn't get a good night's sleep. So I want, I, I want something to pick me up. I want an instant reward. So they go have a coffee and a donut or whatever. So you can see how people can uh, look at each situation differently here. And then stage four is the response. So you could use willpower to resist having an entire box of you know, or a tire packet of biscuits as an afternoon snack. I'd prefer not to use willpower, but like if all else fails, it can be useful, but in, in most of the time it's not. So unfortunately, if you do wait until the response stage to implement a strategy, you probably won't have a lot of success because your primary strategy at that point is willpower. And for most people, it never works. So that's just one example of how to use this four-step, you know, process model of behavior change in specific situations like struggling with healthy eating at work. So if you might get the concept by now, but if you're looking for more ideas, here's some additional ways to think about the strategies for those first three stages. Remember the first three stages are situation, attention, appraisal. So for situational strategies, your environment can make your goals easier or harder. And I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Um, So let's say you want to eat healthier. If you stock your fridge and your pantry with ready-to-eat fruits, vegetables, proteins, and other minimally processed foods, your goal is going to be far easier to achieve, especially if it's weight loss, muscle building, more energy, better health, lower blood pressure. But meanwhile, if your kitchen's full of crisps or chocolate-covered things or soft drinks, it's much harder to stay on track. You have to rely on willpower to make healthy choices. And in the long term, that's exhausting and it's futile, right? You know, anytime we have stuff in the house and I'm watching TV, I'm wrestling every five minutes going on, we'll have a bar chop, we'll not, we'll have a biscuit, I'll have a cup of tea and a biscuit. It's a constant battle. And I always, pretty much 90% of time given. So for me, I try and make my environment easy. So try and help yourself by creating an environment that supports your goal and makes your desired behaviors easier. And I've talked about this in another podcast with the concept of ontological design where the, the environment shapes the, the person. So think, you know, think like a, a detective who's trying to solve a mystery. And that's what I do as a coach. I know where's where's the um what's physically in my client's way? What's around my client that's triggering their behaviors? And that's why I'll ask them loads of questions about their work day, where they work, what time they have lunch at, who they have lunch with. I'm just trying to figure out all the different ways that they're going to be triggered to eat stuff that's not going to support their goals. And then basically, if you want to do it yourself, you just look at all aspects of your environment and ask, how can I make this easier? So in your environment, it could be, first of all, you look at your house and your kitchen. Maybe you're keeping treats in the car. 
Maybe you have the wrappers from a McDonald's in there and the smell of it is making you go and go to a drive through. Then you look at your work. Those kind of are the three main environments, especially for food. And then obviously when you go out, it's a lot difficult, but you can certainly choose healthy options when you're out too. So look at your environment. And if it's too overwhelming, just pick, okay, I'm going to start with a house first. I'm going to control that first and see how I go there. And then I'll move to the workplace. Then I'll move to, you know, restaurants and stuff. Then in the second stage of the process model of behavior change, we have attentional strategies. So it sounds complicated, but the approach is actually simple. So if you just simply bring awareness to the behaviors you want to change and track them in a log or a food journal or a daily mood rating, you can then, you know, to assess progress. Research shows that simply paying attention to and tracking our behaviors can be a really, really effective tool for change. So you might notice that three o'clock every afternoon you're really really sluggish and you're really hungry so it might be the fact that you skip breakfast you had a lion you're going to bed too late you're craving high carbohydrate foods and then maybe you need to start with your sleep pattern or maybe you need to eat a bigger breakfast or a nice healthier lunch so there's always answers there's always answers here and then number three is appraisal strategies remember appraisal is where the point where two people were looking at the lift and one person was thinking, mm, I want to take, get more exercise, so I'll take the stairs. And the other person was saying, nah, I just want to take the quickest route. I'll, uh, I just want to take it easy today. I'll take the lift. So appraisal strategies can help make healthy behaviors more attractive and unhealthy behaviors less attractive. And you can do this by a couple of strategies. One, you can accentuate your future well-being. So in this way, what you do is you vividly imagine yourself as healthy and happy if you continue your healthy eating your exercise, your meditation, you're going to bed early, you're stretching. Um, number two, you can frame healthy behaviors as immediately rewarding. For example, you might notice the mental alertness boost you get right after exercise. I always know right after exercise, my skin feels like it's almost glowing and my, and my energy's up and I feel like, you know, just in a really good mood. So if you can frame healthy behaviors as immediately rewarding, that has a really powerful effect on your motivation to do a behavior because remember, unhealthy choices are usually instantly gratifying. They, they give you a, a, an instant burst of pleasure. So eating chocolate at night when you're tired it makes you feel good. Drinking wine makes you relax on my noon. But a lot of healthy behaviors aren't seen as rewarding or immediately rewarding, even though they, they have rewards long term. And this can affect your decision or your motivation to do these behaviors. So if you can focus on the benefit that a workout gives you immediately or the benefit that a healthy salad with protein gives you you know you're filling your body full of great nutrition it's going to fill you up you're not going to feel sluggish you're going to be full of energy every your cells are going to be healthy that's going to help a lot and then the third strategy for appraisal strategies could be you know you could see healthy behaviors as relevant to your identity you know you can tell yourself i'm the type of person who gets into nature every day i'm the type of person who doesn't eat sugar every day. I'm the type of person who eats, you know, a lot of vegetables. I'm the type of person who likes to be energetic. Who I'm the person who wants to be hiking the mountains rather than being on the bus tour, you know. Um, so, and James Clear talks about it a lot in his book. You know, he says, if you can uh, get in touch with your identity, who you want to be, it can really help with changing your goals. He calls it identity-based goals. You have to shift your identity to someone who is a healthy, fit, energetic person. So by using these appraisal strategies, your behaviors can have more meaning. You might feel more connected to and invested in your goals, and it gives you more motivation and purpose to achieve them. So the bottom line is 
cultivate a really strong, clear, meaningful connection to your goals so they feel more important and more rewarding. Now, there was a few coaching takeaways from this study. Uh, and I thought I would share them here. And what they wanted to get across was that this approach isn't the end all and be all for behavior change, right? But it's another tool that you can use. It's these, it's the framework, the four-step framework. It's designed to help you think about behavior from different angles. So experiment with it. You know, learn what you find useful and what you don't. Um, and number two, you should understand that it's normal human behavior to want to feel good right now. Eating chocolate when you're stressed, normal. Zombieing out in front of the TV when you're tired, normal. Whatever you're doing, as Nir Adal said, the author of Indistractable, he said, all behaviors, no matter how self-sabotaging they may seem, are done in an attempt to feel better in the moment and to escape discomfort. I'll say that again. All behaviors, no matter how self-sabotaging they may seem, are done in an attempt to feel better in the moment or escape discomfort. And if you know this, you can stop bloody beating yourself up for being weak or lazy or gluttonous and gain a kind of better, what's called a more compassionate understanding of what, what truly desires some unwanted behaviors. We all do these unwanted behaviors. Jesus, the other night I got sucked into Instagram for 35 minutes on this page called Bro That's Interesting. And I was sitting there the whole time going, go to bed and go the fuck to bed. <laughs> go to bed. But I just kept looking at the screen because it was really, really interesting. We all do these behaviors. But it can also help you to understand that for a new habit to work, it has to feel good on some level. So a lot of bad choices, a lot of unhealthy choices feel good straight away, whereas a lot of healthy choices don't feel good straight away. And that's what makes uh, healthy behaviors really, really difficult to do and making better choices more difficult. But you can't hate yourself into change. You know, doing activities you despise to get there. You can't do that. You can't hate yourself into change. Number three, the coaching takeaway was expect obstacles, right? There's so many strategies to change behavior, so many strategies to lose weight, many of which will fail at some point. You know, you can't always control your environment. Sometimes your attention will get away from you. In certain moments, you'll value the bad behavior more than good. Uh, like when you're stressed and you just need that glass of wine, you'll probably value that bad behavior more than the good. And at some stage, your willpower will, will definitely drop out 100%. So that's why having multiple strategies matters, you know. But ultimately, remember the four-step process, which was situation, attention, appraisal, uh, and then response. If you can apply the strategies earlier in that loop, you know, get your environment set up, to make change easier, more likely. Think of each strategy as like a backup system to the one before. And the more backup systems you have, the more likely the, the, the change keeps going. And then the fourth coaching takeaway on the study was that we as coaches should support clients at every stage. You know, strategies can be initiated by me as a coach too. You know, think about it. Lots of our behaviors are modified by policies, social norms, and, and people around us. So as a coach, I have to try and help my client change their behavior at each of the first three stages. You know, at, at the situation stage, maybe I can create a really supportive environment by organizing or being more supportive for them, being more available. And maybe I can give them, recipes and make healthy information really accessible maybe i can design workouts that fit their short busy schedules you know at the attention stage maybe i can help them stay focused by sending them texts or email reminders about their goals and then at the appraisal stage maybe i can work with clients to help them find really really compelling reasons to keep persistent at their goal and then celebrate their 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 wins and you know 
highlight the bright spots when I notice their efforts. So this is all stuff I do as a coach anyway, but maybe I could do this better. And so, yeah, look, that was um, probably was a bit of a waffle here, but I thought this was a great wee study. But remember, it's just one tool for behavior change. It's a, it's a process model of behavior change. It has four steps. It has the situation, the attention, the appraisal, and the response. And the earlier you get the strategies in place by setting up your environment, by focusing your attention on the good stuff, by seeing exercise and healthy food as rewarding in the, in the immediate short term, then you can have better responses and make healthy choices. So that podcast was all about how to make better choices. I don't know if you got something from it. I love these little studies that the psychologists do because – it really, really helps to see that behavior change is complicated. Weight loss is hard. If it was as easy as move less and or eat less and move more, we'd all be doing it. We'd all have six packs. We'd all be ripped. We'd all be healthy, all energetic. So just know that the people on the internet who tell you you're weak or lazy or gluttonous or whatever or try to shame you in the change, that never works. You can't shame people in the change, right? It's But what you should learn from this is that you've got to become aware of what you're doing. And then try to track that awareness and see patterns and then come up with strategies that are put in place before the behavior happens. Because remember, if you wait to that response stage, that's when you're relying on willpower. And unfortunately, that doesn't last very long, especially when you're tired, kids are going mental, your boss is pissing you off, or you've got a project that's overdue. So there we go. Thanks for listening. Uh, as always, I really, really appreciate your support, support listening to the podcast, and I hope you got something from it. If you have any questions, reach out on one of the social media channels. And if you're interested in coaching too, go have a look at the website and my Fit Habits program. I kind of help clients lose weight, get stronger, build some muscle, but I do it in a way in the short term that benefits the long term by establishing these good habits and using lots of these strategies to get people to become aware of what they're doing so they can actually make changes and never have to do bloody diets again or panic when they do put on a couple of kilos all right have a great day and thank you very much for listening to the podcast i hope it's not um full of smoke wherever you are in the world